Blog Talk Radio. Good evening once again. Welcome back to Madam Perry Salon, the podcast that loves you. The podcast with more celebrities than the inauguration, and that is the truth. Hey, um, I'm your host, your groove mistress, your spiritual advisor, Madam Perry, but you can call me Jen, Jennifer, JP. I'm just glad that you're here and glad that uh, you helped me continue to keep this show alive. You know, a lot of people have been writing on uh, reviews, and thank you for every single one of these, uh, your reviews on uh, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, everything that you like, the variety of guests. I want to know what you want, but they say you like the fact that sometimes it's somebody you know, like maybe Donnie Most, who was Ralph Mouth in in, um, Happy Days, and has still got a career, still doing films, and and. Got a new CD out of Swing Music. He's very Bobby Darren-like, very good. Also, you say that uh, you like sometimes when you don't know who the guest is, if it's a NASA JPL expert or an anthrozoologist. And I'm always impressed by the fact that if you don't know a guest, I always find out that my listeners go and do research and let me know what they find. And that that just astounds me. I think that's magnificent. Um by the way, we finally, yes, I know I was slow on getting the uh, winners announced for uh, Julie Blomacki's poetry book, Slide to Unlock, and also Matt Coyle's fifth um, book in the series, um, in his series, It's Lost Tomorrows, and the ever-gallant Tony Ballard Smoot, because, uh, you know, I, I can't do the drawings myself. That wouldn't be, it wouldn't look right. It wouldn't be right. So I had Tony uh, draw them for both uh, books, and he did. He made a video, and he is in his uh, spaceship with his uniform on. Um, you can tell he's part of the Star, uh, Starfleet Academy, and he read those. And thank you very much. And the winners of Julie's book was uh, Kenya Colbert, and the winner of Lost Tomorrows by Matt Coyle was Keith Allen Hayes. And so you probably should get your books any day now. Okay. Uh, coming up soon, we're going to have Jen Lancaster. I don't know if you've ever read her books. They started off with pretty, uh, let's see, Bitter is the New Black, um, Bright Lights, Big Ass, Such a Pretty Fat, and went on. Most of these are her memoirs uh, about when she went from having a big, high-flying job in marketing, and she was not a nice person, rather rude. And then losing the job, she and her husband uh, lost their jobs, lost their fancy apartment, lost their nice cars, and were uh, living in a, um, I don't know, some kind of public housing and scratching their way back up. And then they began, uh, she began writing a blog, and it's so funny. So now she, I think she's got her 15th book coming out soon, but she's going to be on the show Uh I think it's uh, October the 2nd. 
looking forward to that for sure. And then tomorrow night is Nashville singer Wendy Moten, and we're very and Michael Daybar last week. People asked me again how to find his his video. Michael Daybar was on last week, uh, last Monday. His it's a documentary about his life called Who Do You Want Me to Be, and you can rent it or buy it on Amazon Prime. And you can also listen to him every morning on Little Stevens Underground on Sirius XM Radio. But he was a lot of fun. So. Now, tonight is a guest I am so excited about. Uh, he's got a lot of fans, and I can see why. Uh, I've just started to read his books and read about him. Uh, I know he has about, he has had at least, I think, probably more by the time this happens, uh, 12 books and about 400 other items published, ranging from poems in Chinese, trucker fiction in Truckers USA, a story in an honest-to-God Norton anthology, a book on Greek magical papyri. Maybe he'll correct my pronunciation. Uh, more Cthulhu's mythos stories than Lovecraft himself. Story in the Witch Anarchist magazine. Um, he's, <laughs> he, you know, I could tell you more about him, but it's, but it's going to be even more fun to just bring him right here in the genie bottle for the very first time. Let's be very nice because we want him to come back. And welcome Please, for the first time here in Madame Perry Salon, Don Webb. Don, welcome. So glad to have you here. I'm so glad to be here. I really like the look of the genie bottle. This has a completely great cultural vibe because, you know, I was a kid of the 60s, and so uh-huh. I dream of genie is just part of my um, cultural inventory. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm looking forward to talking with you and any of your call-in listeners if they want something to say, too. Uh, I just published my most recent book called Building Strange Temples, which is a horror fiction collection, and we'll talk about that, and then uh, anything else that comes up tonight. Yeah, Building uh, Strange Temples is is fresh, isn't it? It is very fresh. It actually came out um, three weeks ago. It's... uh, Available, of course, on Amazon and and other sources. The uh, publisher is Ramble House. Uh, Ramble House mainly brings out uh, classic weird fiction and classic detective fiction. But um, years ago, I was talking to the owner of Ramble House, and I said, well, I hope someday I'm famous enough for you to bring out one of my books. And he says, well, I just bring out dead people. And I said, well, what if it's a really good book? And so... uh, they have an extensive catalog, but the only two living authors they have is uh, Richard Lupoff and myself. So uh, it's interesting because a lot of times I'm talking to my publisher, and he's like, yeah, you know, the dead guys never tell me what cover to use. Oh. <laughs> is that but, um, I think we see why he stuck with them for a while. You know, I've, I've heard a lot about publishers, so... Well, you know, the small small publishers, independent publishers, um, at least half of what they do is driven by, you know, it would say a labor of love or some kind of mild obsession in some sense. And they're they're really fun to deal with. I mean, I've dealt with big publishers. I've had stuff come out from, you know, like St. Martin's. Um, but I, I love the publisher where, you know, I can talk to the man or woman and just kind of find out what they tick and what they're, they're – their mission is in the world. And Ramble House's mission is he says, hey, there's some stuff out there that's kind of weird, uh, 
has that mixture of high cultural and low cultural and just plain odd stuff, and I really like that. And he thinks that my horror fiction particularly fits into that um, that groove. So I am I'm thrilled to have these guys as a publisher. Well, then so am I. I'm so glad you have a new book out, and I. I don't. You're, you're a hardworking man. I don't know how you have time to write so much. So it just makes me pouring out of you. Can let me ask you then. Let's start first with a little history on you. Um, how did you begin writing professionally, and why did you start to write horror? Well, the way I began writing professionally is a is a strange story, and I always, you know, for years have been at panels and. Uh, inevitably someone in the back of the room will say, hey, how'd you guys begin writing? And the other four or five humans with me will start by saying, I always wanted to be a writer. I wrote when I was in second grade. This has always been my dream. And then, since my name starts with a W, um, I'm the last one that gets asked. And here's how it happened. Way back in 1983, I was attending for a brief period of time Texas Tech University, uh, that's not really my alma mater. My alma mater is here in, in Austin, you know, go Longhorns. But I was in, in Lubbock, um, probably as punishment for my sins. And there was a course that you could take called Writing the Science Fiction Short Story. It was an honors course. And I uh, was taught by three professors, and one of them was a professor of classics, named Dr. Christensen. And I knew him from back when I took Latin in, in high school. And he said, you should take this course. It's fun. Everybody has a blast. So during the course, you read a lot of classic science fiction, and then you had an option. You could write a story, or you could write a paper. And I thought, wow, that doesn't look like that's too hard. I've never tried writing a story before, so I wrote a story. It was a terrible story. (laughs) It was called Diary in an Abandoned Jeep. It was this completely... um, derivative, third-rate Lovecraftian pastiche that um, really it's a sin to have wasted paper on it. But I wrote that over the weekend, took it down to class, and everyone else in the class had opted for writing a paper. They said, writing is really hard. And I thought, damn, that that wasn't hard. You just, you know, you sat down and typed for a while. And after a while, you're not typing anymore. So I, I sent the, I, this out, and then a local Lubbock writers group said, oh, well, you need to, you should send your stuff out in the world. We're all trying to get published. And I went to them, their meeting, and at the meeting, um, one person, I can't even remember who this is, uh, which is odd because this person has obviously such a big effect on my entire life trajectory, said, oh, you should send it to a certain magazine. And out of the out of respect for uh, some people involved, I'm not going to mention the name of the magazine. Uh, I said, "Well, I've never heard of that." I said, and they said, "No, it's new. It's just it's coming coming out soon. That's the best kind of magazine to submit to." And by the way, for any writers that are listening in the audience, yeah, send it to a new market. That's always really a good idea. Well, I got a letter back, almost by return mail. It was just amazingly fast. And this letter said that, you know, that my story would be featured, that it would be a cover story on the cover of the magazine. And that other people, oh, it gets better. Other people contributing to the magazine, 
included Dr. Isaac Asimov and Ursula K. Le Guin. I thought, oh, my God, this, this is it. This, this is my state. I, I have taken this thing that takes zero talent to do, and I'm going to be famous in a few months. So I did all the appropriate things that only someone in college could do. I quit my classes. I was ready. I had a, you know, I had a career. And I wrote a ton of really bad fiction. And a few weeks went by, and the magazine didn't come out. And then a couple of months went by. And uh, finally, I was beginning to be kind of worried because I had, in fact, you know, quit college, uh, a really popular move with my parents. Um, <laughs> e- even though I was, they weren't totally paying for my college, we were both paying for it, but that was a, this huge move. And so I called the Magot up, the, my acceptance letter, which um, now that I look at it, after all these years, I'm like, I couldn't believe, you know, I, I should have known it wasn't an acceptance letter. For example, it was uh, typewritten on um, a raceful bond paper. And if anyone is still old enough to remember what that is, that's the cheapest of cheap-ass papers. It <laughs> did not have a letterhead. And I called the number. Uh-huh. And uh, a woman's voice answered the number. And I asked to speak to the uh, gentleman who was the editor of the magazine. Uh, I didn't say, oh, and she didn't, she didn't uh, pick this up and saying, hello, you have reached Spectrum Science Fiction Stories. It was just, hello. And so I asked for the editor, and I gave the name. And there was a pause. And then she said a phrase that I'll always remember. Mr. Bonfire does not have telephone privileges today. <laughs> so you know that, that moment when uh, Elmer Fudd has chased bugs out into the canyon and then looks out and sees there's nothing beneath him for several hundred feet. I was in that moment. And so understanding what I just heard, I said, oh, um, I didn't realize that. What's the nature of the institution that I'm calling? And, of course, he was in a home uh, for delusional people and had somehow his particular delusion, which is not a – I think would probably be rare, was that he was a famous editor. And suddenly I looked around my cheap little room, 1983. Uh Uh, The term was gone by. I was having to move from Lubbock to, uh, to Austin and realized, wow, I am so screwed. And it wasn't until 1986 that I actually then began having professional sales. Um, I made two sales on, you know, when I made my professional sale, I made both of them in a week's time with each other. One was to, at that time, a fairly avant-garde uh, British science fiction magazine called Interzone, and the other was to the most traditional of traditional science fiction magazines, Amazing SF, the oldest at that time uh, science fiction magazine in the world. And, of course, I began, you know, finding out all the real facts of writing, like, "Mm, this probably isn't going to pay your bills. When it does pay your bills, not on a very regular status. And, um, by the way, going back and getting that college education, probably a really good idea. So... Uh, the way I began writing was so 
someone, you know, as a, as a random crazy person told me I could write. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really a trickster story, you know, depending on how you, you view the trickster. If you view him like my uh, Native American ancestors, you think it's Coyote. If you view him from kind of a Norse perspective, it was Loki. But definitely the, the trickster chose me. Now, to the more uh, sophisticated question, the question of why do I write horror, uh, there's two reasons. Um, I will give you the, the cynical reason and the deep reason. The cynical reason is uh, I always say I write depending on who's buying my fiction. Hmm. So when I send it out to a certain kind of magazine and they buy it, I say, oh, yes, I write that. I write fantasy. I write science fiction. Uh, mm-hmm. I wrote a lot of stuff that's called, used to be called experimental fiction, meaning it's brought out by small magazines that don't pay a lot of money but let you do your own weird things with words. The deeper reason is I think that horror fiction, and I, I teach a how to write horror fiction class at uh, UCLA. Uh, I've been teaching at UCLA since 2002. It's an online class, and I'm one of the most popular instructors. Um, so some people apparently like it. Uh, I think that horror fiction addresses the way people live. I think the interesting question is what do you do when you discover the world doesn't work the way you think it does? Now, we all do that every day in some way or another. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just you know, whatever your day job is or whatever you, you spend most of your time doing, you're always discovering things don't work the way I think they work. Certainly for 2020, it's been a time for almost every single sentient being on the planet to discover that things don't work the way they thought they worked. Mm-mm. Our fiction is meeting the unknown. And you can meet the unknown with a variety of moods. Terror, as H.P. Lovecraft used to say, the oldest of all human emotions. Or you can also meet it with ecstasy, with bliss, with overwhelming wonder. But whatever you meet it with changes you, makes you more alive, even if, like some of the characters who meet uh, bad ends in my story, only more alive that last few minutes of them being alive at all. So that's way that I, I fight um, the boredom of the world, the quotidian nature of things, is by horror, you know, by the, the sheer wonder of what if things are extremely different than we think they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is kind of what we're going through now as well. Well, it it, it it is. We're going through a time now where um, we're seeing horrific reactions. Uh, some of the ones that we're seeing, we're, we have a hard time understanding this is the way people work. Uh, we're living in a time now, for example, when a lot of people are in total denial of a massive you know, pandemic that's hitting the world. However, one of the ways... Some humans react to the shocking or the weird or the terrible is just to, just to deny it. That's just not there. You know, if I stamp my little feet hard enough and fold my arms over my chest, I can make mm-hmm. it go away. Unfortunately, for 194,000 Americans, it didn't go away. 
Um, that's one aspect of horror. I mean, the other aspects of horror is you get used to it, or you make the most of it, or you uh, use this in a way to even discover some kind of new way of living and being. The effect this is going to have on the planet for many, many years afterward is going to be this is the year more people found themselves. More people on a daily basis are having to confront their own mortality or the mortality of those near to them. More people have to confront with other things, such as the sheer boredom of being home or not being able to go down to the movies and get that hot tub of popcorn. So for the first time, certainly in my writing career, which goes all the way back to 1983, I realized that the average human is experiencing horror, not because they decided to pick up a book by Thomas Ligotti or Stephen King or whatever, hopefully me, but because it has come and is knocking at their door. And it's interesting to me, since my own introduction to writing was in some ways horrific and comic, and that in some ways chose what I was going to write about, everybody's going to have that experience. The rest of our lives, people are going to begin stories with, you know that year that we all stayed home. That will be a universal mythic phrase in every human's vocabulary. Uh, I am glad that stuff's still going on during this time. I'm thrilled that my publisher brought out this book. I have a another book coming out in uh, May, uh, but it's an esoteric book. It's nonfiction. I write occult books occasionally called The Energy Magic of the Vampire that Inner Traditions is bringing out. And anything that's, you know, that's sort of the strange side the nonfiction strange side that matches my fiction strange side and that these things are happening during the middle of a pandemic is really strange. It's so unlike my whole writing career. I mean, there would have been a time that having a book coming out or just a new book is all that I think about. But in fact, man, there's a lot of things to think about today. Indeed. Uh, I'm to talk about... Um building strange temples but first if you're listening to us live and this is september 14th 2020 if you're in gmt minus five it's 8 22 p.m um wherever you are just adjust uh but if you want to talk to don webb if you have a question for him about any of his books or about writing or about his new book building strange temples anything you want to talk to him about you can give us a call at 646 646- 716-9922. It's a toll-free call in the continental U.S., so it's 646-716-9922. Or for the people who maybe can't make a phone call because of their job or wherever they're at, uh, you can always send me a message through Facebook, either through Jennifer Maudette Perry or through Madam Perry Salon, and I'll be happy to relay it. So let's talk about yeah, you know the thing is, it's so um, it's so hard. We talk, you know, we'll look back at the year we stayed home, and yet, yeah, people are keeping things going one way or another. Uh, that's true. Whether it's uh, I've heard of people doing, you know, musicians doing live concerts and drive-ins, 
uh, or drive-in theaters. I think I've seen a comedian do it. I, I believe Kazem Sultan, the bass player for uh, Utopia, as well as Joan Jett and other bands, and a solo artist. Um, he's been doing that up in um, Staten Island, doing just outdoor shows where people can stay in their cars and listen. And, yeah, people people are going to find a way to make stuff happen, and I think that's good. It shows that we're resilient. And uh, and then, like you said, we find a way to look. Like every time somebody wakes up, hears something about uh, whether it's the uh, weather, you know, do the climate change and, and how and now things seem to be ramping up much faster than expected or murder hornets or um, what was it, the, the medical advisors to the White House about demon sperm and alien babies and stuff, you know. And people start just saying, well, is that, was that on your bingo card? Was that on your 2020 bingo card? So, yeah, everybody tries to find a way to sort of keep from totally falling under, even though they do get depressed. But let's talk about Building Strange Temples. What's about that book, please? That's your newest. It just came out three weeks ago. Yeah, it's a collection of uh, some of my Lovecraftian fiction. Uh, about half of it has been published elsewhere and half of it is new to this book. And uh, there's a couple of things in the book that are, that are unusual, because at the first I talk about Lovecraft himself. Now, Lovecraft was a, shall we say, a disturbed man. Um, I like Lovecraft's writings. I don't like his racism. I'll be the first to say, man, you kind of missed the, missed the boat on that one. But he had a lot more strangeness going on than... Um, the average human. Both of his parents died in an insane asylum uh, when he was a small child. His mother told him that he was too ugly to play with other children, that he would frighten them, so he could only play outside at night. And he had a pretty active dream life. Okay, that's Lovecraft the weirdo. But Lovecraft the good guy, Lovecraft the um, most lovable human, really helped his fellow writers. And he did something that was very strange. He did a revising business. So if you had a story that you wrote that that wasn't very good, you could send Lovecraft some money and Lovecraft would rewrite it. But when he would rewrite the other writer's stories, he began to include the magical lore of his own universe. So suddenly things he made up, like he made up a uh, story of forbidden eldritch lore called the Necromonicon, um, that was to be showing up in other people's writings, some of which weren't even sending to Weird Tales magazine. And then there was this weird moment in the 20s and 30s <clears throat> where people started thinking, hey, this book must be real because it's being mentioned by these two completely different writers. Lovecraft played at the game of intertextuality. In other words, my story bleeds into your story your world bleeds into mine. And he took things that his fellow writers were doing and added them to his own story long before we had all those words like shared universe. Now, in Building Strange Temples, I included all of the collaborations I've been on for years. Uh, I've collaborated with writers like, for example, John Shirley, very well-known horror writer. Um, I've collaborated with... uh, the horror poet, Denise DeMars. Um, and my stories are designed to blend in and 
use the work of, of other writers. Um, so there's this moment, hopefully, in reading my stuff that the uh, layers between the real and the not real begin to blur because, first off, I began removing some of the layers between my work and other writers' works, with their permission, of course. I didn't go out you know, and, and, and steal something. And then over the years, um, some of my writerly friends have used some of the things I created, like my fictional town of Double Sign, Texas, so that it shows up in other people's works as well. Uh, in this, I'm playing the same game that H.P. Lovecraft used to play. And there's a certain degree of, of fun in that. Uh, and I think that for a lot of my, my readers, they really enjoy that. What's unusual is I discover the demographics of my readers come into two groups. A lot of my readers are boomers about my age. They're people who, who grew up on this stuff. And sometimes they read it just because they're enjoying the, the inside joke or it reminds them of. But then a surprising number of my readers, about 30% of them, are, uh, are millennials, you know, people who are you know, very young and just getting their feet wet in the fictional universe. And they're having a completely different but interesting experience. Now, there's one story I wrote in here that appeared in a magazine called the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction, which is a, a prestigious science fiction magazine called Night Gauntlet. And for Night Gauntlet, I wrote with five other writers. I've never done this bigger project before, and surprisingly it came out really well. By really well, I mean not only is it an enjoyable story, but you don't read this and say, oh, this is where Don handed this to Richard. This is where mm -hmm. Richard handed it to Walt, but I did something very much on purpose. Uh, there's a writer here in Austin named Walt DeBill. Walt wrote Lovecraftian fiction way back in the 70s. And one of the first pieces of Lovecraftian fiction by anyone other than Lovecraft I read was by Walt. And I found out, hey, he, he lives here. And so I wrote him over the years and said, hey, you want to you do a story together? And he said, yes. And then the youngest writer in this same group, a guy named Richard Gavin, a totally gifted Canadian horror writer, he was a student of mine. So I actually was able to, to write a story that, um, you know, covers um, a writer in his late 80s and a writer in his young 30s and becomes a perfect narrative. And so I think that that's one of the nice things about fiction anyway, is you can, you can challenge worlds, you can challenge time or age or any of the boxes people wind up being put in. in indeed. And then I like the idea of, the, of the, the age spread, too, with the millennial and the boomer, because, you know, I, I've got to admit, you know, I'm a boomer as well, and I had gotten gone through my period of, oh, these young kids, oh, we're, we're, what's going to become of us? They don't know anything. They don't do this. They don't that. And then as I got to meet more and have them as guests on the show or work with them when I'm working on um, uh, working on Stranger Things or working on a Stargirl, I am rather impressed. I enjoy them. I just enjoy their company so much. 
you know. So I love the blending of that and the story. And and uh, so how does that? How do you define that or describe that? As how does that that difference come together to to blend um, a strong story? Well, I think that one of the things that's true about writers and artists, musicians is as opposed to the group of there's the old farts and the new people, which is an easy group to, to, you know, to see and look and say, oh, that's the way it must be. I think you find that there are those writers, musicians, artists that have the holy fire. They are possessed by a desire to put something out there. Mm-hmm. And you have the people that play it safe and look for other people to imitate and lines to draw inside of. And I think the people with the holy fire, whether it's a writer in her 20s or an old guy still writing in his 80s, I think they have a lot of things in common because their hope is reaching readers and saying, hey, there are wonderful, joyous, ecstatic, scary things in the world. Wake up, guy. And I think that they actually fit together very well. Um, I think that a lot of times the the groups we think of are groups that are made so, you know, things can be marketed to us or uh, Mm. that we can understand our behavior. Nothing excites me more when somebody picks up something I've written and contacts me and they're really different than me, whether it's a a young woman in Moscow or – you know, uh, older guy in uh, some parts of Texas that just wrote me now who said, hey, I've been reading your stuff for 30 years, and which that felt me feel really good. And he said, yeah, I didn't start reading till after I retired. Oh, and that was just a, really? that was a startling moment. I was like, oh, wow, you are, you know, you're in your 90s, mm-hmm. and you're, you took the time to, you know, Facebook friend me and the whole bit. Of course, I know Facebook is kind of a, an older person's game in some ways. But that tells me that although maybe my fiction doesn't have mainstream appeal, it appeals to weirdos just like me all around the world, all those people who are touched with a little bit too much of the dreaminess in their mm-hmm. makeup. <laughs> yeah. All right, I got you there. Yes, indeed. It's like finding your tribe, all generations of the tribe. You know, well, no, that's absolutely, it's a call. And and I think that that's that's inherent in just the the very idea of art. I mean, that that had to be true for the first man or woman that painted on a cave wall. Mm -hmm. Because not everybody in the cave, in the tribe said, oh, you did a picture there of a, buffalo and there's a guy with wings going after him yeah that's uh that's really good there but there's the one or two members of the tribe who looked at that and said oh, wow you had a picture of a buffalo and there's a guy with wings going after him sometimes you can even see in art of of any era or writing or music of any era that moment where things leap out at you and you say man that person had the holy fire um just a couple of days ago, I was in a sad mood. It's like, you know, a lot of people are these days. And instead of, you know, re- listening to the music I normally listen to, I'm a major fan of Steely Dan, I was listening to Bach. 
I was listening to Jesus, the joy of man's desiring. And I was transported by that. And I could see what Bach was trying to do. And that is to speak to that part of the human that wants a certain transcendence from the day-to-day world. Uh, I'm just thrilled that I get to do it and people want to buy horror fiction. Um, And I know I will never be a name as big as Stephen King because I don't write horror novels. I think the short story is the best form for horror. And that's a limited market these days because publishers like novels because they're a more sure deal for sales. Um, That's why I'm thrilled that there's people like you that let some of us um, who are a little further from the trough get out and try to contact our readers. Uh, I mean, you know, you too are obviously a priestess of the holy fire, you know, working against the day-to-day grayness of the world. I've been a priestess, all right. Yes, you're right. I never thought of it as the, of the holy fire, but yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for well, you know, who else would choose, would choose a genie bottle as the place to have um, <laughs> their meetings, right? Oh. That's, that's, that's a little different than, you know, Dick Cavett's couch a few years ago. <laughs> you know, I should have mentioned that <laughs> to Cavett. Uh, I guess I met him at a book expo, which, you, you know, I think you would have a lot. I know you've done a lot of conventions, uh, a lot of cons. You've led a lot of panels, and I've uh, – in, in my research, you know, I've gotten to listen to you on on different shows and see pictures of you different places, and I I think it would be so much fun to see you at a, a book expo America. Where it be? Have you been there yet? Uh, I have not been there yet, but but may, may but you know maybe this year when um, you know when we start traveling again. Yeah, maybe when we when we all get out to play, or. Um, or you're in Austin, you can come on over to Arizona when we start back the uh, Wild Wild West Con in Tucson, which won't be till 2022, but yeah, yeah, I'll get together. Um, and as I've been telling our mutual friend, uh, Rebecca McFarlane-Kyle, it has been my dream, and my plan, and she knows about this, to um, take Madame Perry's salon on the road to where I'll have a tour bus. Hopefully it'll be the nice country western singer style, but maybe not that fancy. But we'll go around the country. People get on for a couple of cities or states or longer, and some people get off in different places. But we'll stop, do a show, sell your books, read, play music. That's my. Oh, that's, I, that's I, my I, I love that idea. You know, this 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 approach to art that has cross fertilization is one of the best things in the world right now. I mean, we're living at a time now of such huge polarization where people are put in camps. You know, art has a great way to be healing, and cross-fertilization is the best. I mean, it's the greatest thing for someone that comes down to hear, I don't know, you know, a Texas swing band and winds up buying a a vampire novel or comes down to to hear a, a poet read and suddenly discovers, hey, I really like African music. This, this, these moments of cross-fertilization are, are really great, and that's kind of the, the healing thing that's going on against the, um, you know, the polarization of the world. You know, art, art will eventually trump politics because 
politics is based largely on hatred, and hatred is exhausting. Mm, no kidding. You know, you know, one of the reasons I think America is so sick and so prone to disease now is not just the the terror of the diseases, but the mood of the people. You know, that being worn down also is not really great for your immune system. And I agree with you there, and I've seen – I'm not medically trained by any definition of that, but I've always felt like a people who – I've seen people who hold such a grudge and, and hold on to such anger and sometimes manufacture it, and they always seem so ill and always feel sad. They could – you know, your illness may be real, but I think you could – you could pull back on that if you just didn't have so much hate that you were hanging on to. But, you know, uh, it, it's hard to tell people that once they're in, in, in that rut like that. You know, I want to talk more about uh, different things, especially your class at UCLA, uh, your teaching at school now. I mean, you have two teaching jobs right now and uh, also about writing and maybe about magic. But I want to um, – I've got a little uh, message to play right now, and it'll be about one minute, so it'll give you and me both a chance to get a drink of water. And then, Okay. All right, and we'll be back and talk to Don Webb. And if you want to talk to him, the number is 646-716-9922. So, Chuck, talk to us about Fisdale being the Knicks' new coach. What's your uh, thoughts on that? Well, well I, I tell you right now, Ernie, it don't matter who gonna coach this team. They don't got no talent on it. And I don't I don't really feel I talk That's kinda hard. I don't feel I talk about the Knicks right Do now. Wanna talk about lunch? No. <laughs> what would you like to talk about, Chuck? See Ernie, I've been listening to a podcast called Madame Perry Salon. And I think Jennifer Perry, she's a great host. I mean she got all these bestseller authors, Rostar do all the dip comedians. What about people we that could, don't have rings? Here we go again. I got Real funny. Uh, Real uh, funny. Uh, but I think she's great and I think people would love her show. She got a great laugh. She make the laugh come out of nowhere, like a eagle come in there and just steal the whole show. It's 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 a beautiful thing. It's not terrible. You know, Don Webb, I always think if people say, <laughs> say you're not terrible, that's a pretty good thing. That's a really good thing. Listen, as I was saying, if you're, if you're listening live, you can call and talk to Don, 646-716-9922. It's a toll-free call in the continental U.S. Or you can message me on Facebook through Jennifer Maudette Perry or uh, Madam Perry Salon. But some clever – see, this is, the kind, this is the kind of reader I expect from you um, – somehow managed to uh, email me. And so I'm going to read that to you. Uh, He says, greetings. A question for Don Webb. Apart from past writers you admire, what are other dominant uh, recurring influences on your horror fiction, current events, myths and dreams, something else entirely? And it's signed, many thanks, Nishenti. Ah, uh, I will talk about some of my my uh, reoccurring um, experiences. In addition to other writers, there's a few things that I, I draw from. Um, for one thing, I live in the the American South, and um, as my friend Joe Lansdale says, if you read in the South, you have to write weird fiction. Um, God, my voice turned into Joe while I was saying that. I love that. <laughs> Because uh, I come from a family of storytellers. 
you know, my father and mother were, were, were great storytellers, and that's a highly regarded um, skill uh, among my family. I am fascinated by unusual and odd things in history that um, didn't get enough airplay or that people don't know. And I, have an inter- and I am interested in, um, certainly in dreams. Um, I mean, I've heard people say I'm not creative. I've heard all these people say that. And I said, well, what did you dream last night? You know, and they'll tell you about this dream they had that was set on a Dairy Queen on the planet Jupiter. And I'm like, my God, how can you say you're not creative? Where do you think that came from? Your head did that. Mm-hmm. So all of those things are big. Now, I have um, my... Uh, my nonfiction writing is um, is all about the occult. I uh, have always had an interest in spiritual traditions of dissent. In other words, the people that don't uh, follow the mainstream in, in certain ways. Um, and I even wrote a book um, on the Greek magical papyri called The Seven Faces of Darkness, where I uh, take a lot of spells used in late antiquity and uh, offer translations and thoughts about their use and their meaning in in the modern world. Um, The world is a stranger place than we know, and the key to understanding the world is being open absolutely to the mystery of the world. I'll give you a really short example of that, and then I'm going to talk a little about about not being terrible. My short example is the uh, one of the podcasts I have lined up, not for this book, not for Building Strange Temples, but for the upcoming nonfiction book, The Energy Magic of the Vampire, is with Whitley Strieber. Now, Whitley, of course, wrote a book called Contact, his um, experience with extraterrestrials. Well, the way that I met Whitley was a little strange. Some years ago, uh, I had just finished reading uh, his excellent little book about werewolves called Wolfen. And I was working on my first book, on Uncle Ovid's exercise book, and I needed the name of a character. And, you know, there was, you know, Strieber's book sitting on my desk, and so I just typed in Professor Strieber and made him a, a mm-hmm. character that taught um, Greek literature. Well, it so happened, at the beginning of last year, back in 2019, Whitley, who and Whitley had no idea who I was. He was totally unaware of that. He had a dream, and his dream said, you should search your name on the Internet. Um, and so he went in and put his name on the Internet. And, of course, the first four or 500 hits is about Whitley Strieber and extraterrestrials. But then he got a hit that quoted my story, Professor mm-hmm. Strieber talking about death cults, death customs, mm-hmm. excuse me, not cults, of the Greeks. And he thought, wow, that's so important, what I'm trying to write about now. And he put it in his latest book and said, I, uh, you know, I don't know who this Don Webb is, but you know, he put this in there. Of course, I put it in there because I'd read his book. Well, mm-hmm. I'm sitting home, and I'm writing a book now, you know, writing a book then on vampires, and I was putting in a list of novelists that I thought people should read, and I mentioned, of course, Whitley Strieber's The Hunger, when I got um, an email from my friend Mike Hughes, the guy that wrote Magic for the Resistance, and says, hey, do you know that Whitley Strieber mentions you in his current book? And I said, no, why? You know, 
and he said, oh, I'll read it to you. And he read that to me, and I thought, oh, that's that's really cool. So I, I just sent him you know, like a postcard because I had just, you know, literally had just typed Whitley's name, and I sent him a postcard. And so um, Streber contacted me, and I want to be a guest on his show. Now, you have to have a degree of openness to the unusual uh-huh. that you would allow ping-pong synchronicities over 30 years to bring people together because mm-hmm. most of the time you would have never noticed it. You wouldn't have been open to it in the first place, but the devil is always in the details. The trickster god shows up in the oddest ways, and if you pay attention to him or her, they will make your life more interesting. Now, you did say that someone told you that you were not – I'd like to hear your little – promo piece, which are not terrible. Uh, I'm going to tell you one of the, the nicest things ever said about me. I was working with a film crew back in 1995, I believe it was, and it was for a documentary on American occultism that never got made, never never came into being, one of those things you spend a lot of time trying to do. But the uh, the film crew, the week before, had been filming interviews with Charles Manson, and we're sitting around uh, on on our off time, you know, just shooting the, the crud, as you do with people. And the the head cameraman said, well, Mr. Webb, I want to tell you one thing. You're sure a lot nicer than Charlie Manson. So in case that's ever a question you have, because people often, would say, I'm sure, ask themselves, how nice am I on a scale of one to Charlie Manson? I am nicer than Charlie Manson. Uh, I may, I think I may, if I ever get a tattoo, I think I would actually probably get that on my arm, nicer than Charlie Manson. Um, <laughs> you know, but the, so, may I, may I, when people ask me what Don Webb is like? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay? <laughs> Absolutely. No, I think I think that should be should be a be a, a touch base. All right, you ask about the the classes, the. Um, class that will be probably most interesting to your uh, loyal listeners. Uh, once a year, I teach horror writing for uh, UCLA. I teach it in the uh, spring semester UCLA Extension. It's an online class, um, 10-week class. Uh, my students have a fairly good rate of becoming published. Um, some of my students have, have done very well. Uh, one of my early fiction students, a guy named Chris Brown, uh, wrote the novel Tropic of Kansas, the most recently failed safe. And Tropic of Kansas was mentioned for a National Book Award. So, hey, my students do good. Um, also, my student James Parker, who's written a couple of novels and has a really great trilogy of books about to come out. Uh, anyway, I teach for UCLA. Um, a class sells out every year. Uh, people really enjoy it, so if you guys want to come take it, please do so. Uh, I don't get money directly from that. Like, I'm not get more if I sell more. I just like doing the class. Now, my day job, my uh, get-out-of-work-and-go-someplace job, or these days get-out-of-work-and-walk-to-my-computer job, um, I teach uh, English at high school. I teach special education English at a high school in um, – North Austin. So I have been an, I'm an educator uh, for people of kind of all sorts of uh, levels over the years. So those would be the two most common jobs. 
uh, the day job, high school teacher, the night job, um, teaching folks how to write horror. And I've been doing that at UCLA since 2002, so apparently there's a lot of people that think I do that pretty well. Obviously. And, uh, yeah, it sounds like fun. I've taken a UCLA course, and I think I'm, I've been wanting to look for something else, another one. So, yeah, I, I might get up the nerve to take it. Hey, by the way, we've only got a few minutes left, and I've got so much more to talk to you about. But um, thank you for being so generous with your time with me tonight, Don. And so I've got a couple more things to run through quick. First of all, remember Don Webb's newest book called Building Strange Temples. It's out. You can get that on Amazon or wherever you get your books. Um, also, one of his uh, previous titles from 1999 um, has been, well, let's just say there's been a wealth, a treasure of them has come to surface, and it's uh, Uncle Ovid's exercise book, so you can get that yeah. on Amazon. Go ahead. Yeah, the odd thing about Uncle Ovid's, it was my first book, and it's been, it's been out of print for years, uh, and it's from the Fiction Collective. They never reprint stuff anyway, but uh, apparently... In uh, doing an inventory of a warehouse, some cases of it showed up. So, uh, weirdly, I got a small royalty check. And I said, hey, wait a minute, this, this book's been out of print for 20 years. What's this? So, you know, if you run to the uh, Amazon right now and do Don Webb, Uncle Ovid's exercise book, but, um, of course, the, the thing that I can absolutely assure you that you'll enjoy will be Building Strange Temples. And I've got a few e-books out there, like A Velvet of Vampires. But mainly I'm, I'm, I am – I think you may have some fun with that. Um, if you ever want to look at the, the nonfiction side of vampires, I have an Inner Traditions book coming out in May. Um, so, you know, we could have probably a pretty different show about that. Okay. All right. I would like that very much. And uh, somebody else is nagging me to ask you a question. Okay. Uh, we don't have much time left, but yeah, yes, reading. Oh, let me tell you, folks. I started reading Velvet of Vampires, Don Webb, and let me tell you, Don. Oh, and I will be sharing for people who listen to this in their car while they're running. I will share uh, the links to buy Don's book on all of my social media, the Madam Perry social media, as well as uh, Jennifer Maudette Perry social media. I'll be sharing it so you can find him. Um, Thank you. Welcome. I started reading Velvet. Oh, and I just thought, okay, this is going to take me a long time to get through these notes, short stories because you write so beautifully, just the way you craft and use the words and the emotions. And I thought, this is the kind of book like Liana Renee Heber and like a couple mm. of other people where I have to keep reading the same thing over and over and over because I just love the way you use the words. And so... It's going to take a while. Otherwise, I could have been done, you know, in the afternoon. But this is beautiful. Okay, I, Becky, Rebecca McFarlane Kyle, author, um, former uh, Amazon um, Breakout Novel Award judge. She asked me to ask you here in a message, ask him about the yogurt shop murders. Hmm. Well, uh, this was a, a very gruesome um, Wait, story here story? in Austin. It's a true, it's a true story. story. Um, I think I know the story now, but go ahead and tell it, yeah. The, uh, the, the murders were uh, happened at a, um, well, obviously a yogurt shop. Um, okay. 
it was very obvious that the uh, young women that were involved knew their murderer or murderers. I think it pretty clearly it was more than one person. They had let uh, some people into the shop after hours. Um, and when things went south and they decided to kill the girls, uh, they also decided to, to burn down the, the store. Well, this, of course, drew huge attention, as you can imagine, right? There was uh, all sorts of fire trucks coming, but before the, the bodies were consumed, the police went in there and found the, the uh, horribly killed girls. Huge, huge tragedy in Austin. I mean, you know, here's, you know, because first off, it's just made for, you know, a news story, you know, these attractive young women, here is their picture of them in their high school yearbook, whole lives ahead of them, everything that that makes murder even more tragic than usual. Now, as a consequence, there was tremendous pressure put on the police department to to find the person that did this. Now, every single fact shows that the girls had let someone in there. There was no forced entry. Uh, clearly, the girls um, were, were, were sort of partying with these people. But the police did not go and say, okay, we're going to find, you know, among no doubt boyfriends of these girls who did it. They found some poor drifter that had, had come into town um, and who gave a sort of ambiguous confession that didn't make a great deal of sense, but, you know, I could tell this guy was just wanting to, you know, spill a story on something. The yogurt shop itself, of course, immediately closed down. I mean, you're not going to have a, you know, a fun store where a horrible piece of murder happened. Uh, and the owners of the mall, because it was a little, a little strip mall next to a bigger shopping mall, uh, did a really smart thing. They literally rebuilt the building so the, the actual address doesn't remain. However, if you're, a, if you're a sensitive person, if you're aware of things beyond just what your normal senses see, uh, you, can, you can still find the site. And from time to time, I've noticed driving by, I'll occasionally see someone and they're walking past that little red brick building. And now it's actually brick where it used to be a window. And they pause and they have this look of, what did I walk into? You know, look down to see if like they stepped on something or shiver on a, on a hot mm. day. Um, so it's one of those interesting places in that it has a, it left a mark. And the mark is pretty much obscured in the sense that, um, for example, you know, there's no plaques or signs or anything about the original place. But uh, I have heard, and this may just be local folklore, uh, they have a hard time renting the, the shops that um, are in the same spot as that. Hmm. Oh, um, Ooh, that was not the story I was thinking of. Yeah, I did not know this one. Wow. All right, Becky. Ah, I got your story. Well, all right. Well, you've heard the voice has told us that we're out of time. Duh. Yeah. Wow. What a story. Uh, 
Don Webb, thank you so much for being here. And as I said, I'll be sharing on my social media how to get your books and uh, how to, um, if I get a link to how to take your classes at UCLA. And uh, this is Madam Perry saying thanks, Don Webb. Be good to each other. Be good to yourself. Don, you want to come back to the so much for having Totally a blast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.